Hey everyone, I'm Ernie, the newest member of the Crash Couch and New Expanse fan. We have a treat for you today. We have an interview by none other than our favorite pilot, Cass Anvar. Now Cass took some time out of his busy schedule to come speak with us. Uh, so disclaimer here, we did the f- interview over the phone, so unfortunately it's not the greatest quality. Uh, but he had some really cool things to say, and we wanted you guys to hear what he uh, had to promote. So without further ado, our favorite pilot... Cass Anvar. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Crash Couch. Uh, I am your host, Chris, and today I'm flying solo. Well, flying solo a little bit because I do have uh, uh, a special pilot here with me, Mr. Cass Anvar. Cass, how are you? I'll be your gunner. <laughs> I'm a good gunner on this flight, brother. I'm usually the pilot, but for this one, I'm going to let you pilot, and I'll just be your, uh, your support team. Hey, well, that's, that's perfectly fine by me, man. That's perfectly fine. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us here uh, this morning. I know that you're probably super busy, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful to have a few minutes of your time. Nope, I'm literally getting ready as we speak for the Big Apple Comic Con. Uh, you're going to be taking place this weekend uh, in New York. So uh, um, I'm multitasking, as they say. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just start it off then. So I know that, you know, the uh, premiere of The Expanse literally just happened this past week. Yes, sir. Uh, and from my, pers- from my perspective, it seems like the premiere for the season has been promoted a little bit more prominently than uh, season two was. Like Kind of like the hype. It's finally caught on to some of the more mainstream audiences. Uh, so do you as a cast member feel like anything has changed in that regard, like the show is getting a little um, more of a uh, spotlight? Well, I, I, I don't know about spotlight. I know that the reactions have been the most intense that uh, we've seen. Uh, for example, this morning I woke up to 100% on the Rotten Tomatoes meter. Uh, our season premiere, which happened on Wednesday, um, apparently we got, uh, some pretty fresh tomatoes, so, um, that was exciting. Getting 100% on Latin tomatoes is a, is a real rare, uh, experience. Um, and the, uh, and the hype from all the press and all the fans has been, we don't know how you did it, but you have already blown season two out of the water. So that's really fun to hear because when you're doing a huge, big budget kind of action, epic story, space opera, you're always worried, are we going to able, are we going to be able to sustain this? How long mm-hmm. can we burn at this intensity before we run out of fuel? And so we're always biting our nails and thinking, did we do it this year? Did we do it this year? So, um, so far, um, the word I've got from the studio and from our producer, Alcon Entertainment, is that season three is even better than season two. And mm-hmm. our premiere kind of reflects that in terms of the reaction we're getting from fans and press. Everyone's loving it. Um, in terms of how much actual PR and press and all that, that I couldn't say because I'm, I'm totally immersed in it. So I don't actually get to see uh, what the average of the person who's not doing it is being exposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always like to tell people when I recommend The Expanse to them if they've not watched watched it before or read the book, that when you start 
season one, like it, it doesn't necessarily get off on a, on a slow, on a slow foot, but, uh, you kind of got to give it time to really find its own. And then once you get into season two, like that's when the action picks up. And after watching yeah. the premiere of season three, like it, it just, it's so intense and it, it's so action packed right from the start. So, yeah, uh, I, I definitely think well, this the, is the spotlight. When I, talk, how when I tell new when I tell new fans, uh, when I meet them at Comic Con or whatever, when they're like, what is this expansion? I'm hearing all about it. I'll say, I say to them, they're like, they'll ask me, do you think I'll like this? And I'll say, do you like Game, Game of Thrones? Do you like, uh, do you like Blade Runner? Do you like Alien? Do you like Firefly? Mm-hmm. Uh, Battlestar Galactica? And if, if I get a lot of yeses, and I'll say, okay, I guarantee you that this will be your favorite science fiction show on TV, but you got to watch the first four episodes together, binge them. Yeah. Because that's the world building uh, block. Expansive, mm-hmm. such a, uh, no pun intended, expansive universe is built uh, such an incredibly textured and detailed uh, world for us to play in, the writers have and the creators have. Um, it's not some kind of formulaic, uh, procedural, weekly kind of serialized um, experience for the fans. Mm-hmm. You have to immerse yourself. You can't put it on in the background while you're making breakfast. you got to watch. you got to listen. And there are so many breadcrumbs and so many little seeds that we plant early on that then get paid off in later seasons, in later shows. Um, but for the beginning, season one, we've got to set up Earth. Mars and the belt. We let it set all that up, and it takes us basically three or four episodes before the action kicks in. No one that I have recommended, because what I do is I make them a bet. I say, come back, go binge the first four episodes, come back to me by the end of the con. If it's not your favorite show by the end, I'll give you a free autograph. And (laughs) every single one comes up to me with their head bowed low. They're like, I can't take your free autograph. Well, hey, man, that's a good thing. I mean, uh, I know for me, I, I didn't read the books, but I was really excited for the show. And I saw the first episode before it aired because they had it up on YouTube. And I was yeah. perfect from the start. So I, I was one of those lucky ones that didn't have to watch the first three episodes. But, yeah, I, I know what you mean about oh, that, that, for sure. You must be a hardcore, sci- uh, hardcore sci-fi nerd because um, anyone who loves science and science fiction gets up right away because they realize when they when they first start watching that this is not like your average show. That there is a mm-hmm. lot of depth, a lot of texture to it. And I, I personally in the same way, like when I watch it, I'm not thinking, Oh, this is a slow burn. I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is so rich and so intense and the characters are so deep and there's so much backstory and there's like I want to know everything about this mysterious Miller guy and who is that with mm-hmm. What a weird and bizarre character. So it's like, it's like, I'm totally on your, like, I'm a geek and a nerd and a sci-fi fan. And so I'm, I'm totally, if I wasn't in the show, I'd totally be addicted to it. I'm still addicted to it. Because <laughs> all I know is my stuff. All I know is the Lockheed crew. But there's so much going on with Bobby and the fire team and the Martians and the Earthers and Navasarala. And then the first two seasons, the whole Miller mystery and detective issue. There's so much going on, even up above and beyond the Rocket crew. And we're not part of that when we're shooting. So it's all kind of a mystery to me. Um, so when I get to watch the show, I'm actually watching the show as a fan. Oh, that is awesome. I, I was going to ask, yeah, how, how much uh, involved you are, you know, in the other, uh, in the other characters. But 
that's great that you get to kind of experience it, you know, as an actor, but then also watch the final product and, and, you know, get your own questions answered. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of exciting watching season one and season two when, when I'm binging it first time, because I'm like, I'm like, cause I kind of, I've read the book, so I know roughly where we're going, even though there is a lot of adaptation. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't get to work with those actors. Oh my God, I need to work with Sean. Oh my God, I get to work with Thomas Jane. I can't wait. How are they going to make this meet up? What's going to happen? It's like, I'm getting all excited about what's going to happen because I don't know. Uh, exactly how they're going to do it because uh, they change a lot in terms of the, the details um, and the logistics in the, in the TV adaptation of the books. Do you have any, um, like, do you ever struggle with any of the more scientific, nerdy parts of the show or, or is that something that kind of comes natural to you? Um, I was actually a scientist before I became... Um, an actor. So science was my first love. And uh, I was so excited to be working on this. And, um, but I'm going to tell you, I'm used to, when I go on a set, I'm used to being nerdiest, most tech savvy, most science savvy person on the set. I'm used to people Mm -hmm. kind of asking me questions. I'm like number four or five on this set. I'm like, I'm (laughs) below Narain Shankar and Ty uh, Frank and Daniel Abrams and a couple of the other writers and producers, like everybody here, and like Moraine is a physicist. He was a physicist before mm-hmm. he became a, a showrunner and a writer. And the other guys are all like heavily nerded out in science. That they're all friends with NASA and and, and all this stuff. They they they, have, they they see top secret kind of blueprint models of uh, unexplored technology that they base stuff on for their books. It's like crazy so I get to actually learn a lot which I love um, there's so much science that I have learned because of the show every day I go to set every episode there's new and interesting science that I get to uh, I get, get 57 moons did you know that Jupiter has 57 moons how nuts is that I did not know that but <laughs> 57 you sound, moons. you sound a lot like me Jesus, and so, and the reason I know that is because in one episode in, in season two, Alex has to go and park his park his uh, his ship, Rafinante. I got to go park it in the shadow of one of the moons, and I choose Silene because it's got a really cool name, and <clears throat> and so I park it in behind Silene, and then I, I do a little. Um, I'm planning a slingshot, a gravity assisted slingshot to get down and rescue my buddies, and so I put up all the. Uh, lunar orbits of all of Jupiter's moons up on the screen, and it looks like it looks like alphabet soup. All these orders, it's like, all these orbits. And I asked mm-hmm. my writers, I said, "Jesus Christ, how many how many moons are there?" And they go, "Oh, there's 57." And Cyrene is number 23 or whatever. And so like, I'm like, "57 moons," and, and they go, yeah, that's why we put you here because there's so many moons that you're going to be able to jump from one to the other using gravity of the moons to slingshot yourself down to the surface because I couldn't turn on my ship's engine because I was trying to sneak in stealthily and not get caught by the, uh, by the powers of being going to shoot at me. <laughs> you sound a lot like me in that I am one that I like to seek out knowledge and I like to learn new things. So if I had yeah. that experience, I, I probably would just fall in love immediately. Yeah, exactly. And it's exactly what, what I'm doing. 
This is like this little science nerd boy's wet dream is to be on this show. <laughs> so, so I want to talk a little bit more about uh, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Alex for season three. Uh, back in October, yeah. one of uh, our podcast colleagues, actually Mike, met you at Stanley's LA Comic Con and asked cool. you a few questions uh, on our behalf. And one thing that uh, you mentioned is that we'll be seeing more of Alex's backstory show up this season. And we did see a brief glimpse of that um, in uh, episode one when Alex was recording a message and sending it to his family back on Mars. You know, obviously this shows a sign of evolution in the character. Uh, so looking back on season one, how has, how has the way you approached and acted out Alex changed, if at all, compared to um, Well, Alex, Alex has definitely evolved. Uh, a lot in season one. In season one, he was a scruffy, introverted, kind of shy, uh, what he called himself was a glorified bus driver. And um, mm-hmm. by the time we get to season two, the end of season two, he has evolved and grown and matured and, and embraced his, his full potential. Um, I mean, I don't think he's achieved it yet, but he is certainly, once he fits his butt down in the, the seat of the Rocinante for the first time, something happens to him. Um, he finally realizes who he is and what he's meant to be. And he spent his entire life, uh, 20 years in the Navy, married, child, he spent his entire life up to that point not knowing who he is or what he is meant to do. And so that's a, that's a difficult thing for a grown man to, to come to terms with. Um, and it's taken him two seasons to kind of discover his new family and then start feeling confident as a man to really face his failures, face his shortcomings, face his reality, and face his honesty and his truth and who he really is and, and not avoid it, not stick his head in the sand, not run away from his his true calling, regardless of how painful it is. And I really admire him for that. Um, because that ain't easy, man. Like to 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 have the conversation he had uh when he was sending that message to his wife and kid. Um and I don't think Alex really even knew until that moment that he was gonna say that. I think I think there was two years in the in the making, two two seasons in the making, and all the shit that he's been through that has kind of hammered him uh, more into the person and the pilot and the the soldier that he was meant to be. That allowed him to see himself truly for the first time and have the courage to face the people that he still loves deeply and really be honest. You know, he faced the protocol molecule monster. He faces Earth and Mars kind of shooting at him. He faces the, the stealth fighters and, you know, getting shot at and almost killed. He faced all these dangers. And I don't think any of those things was as scary for him as telling his family the truth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah that, Alex that was a big and important scene. Alex has been one of my favorite characters right from the start and to, to finally be getting this little bit of backstory, especially since I don't, I don't know it from the book. Um, it, yeah. it was really, it was almost heartbreaking just because you could like, you could see the emotion not only come from you, but it was almost kind of like a meta thing where, where you just, you felt what the character himself was feeling. 
Yeah. I had um I have a bunch of uh, military friends that uh, uh, I'm pretty close to, and um, <clears throat> I didn't realize this. I'm, I'm Canadian-born, and uh, I did not uh, have the, the, the honor of serving in the military, but um, what they responded to me was they were cursing me out for making them cry. And these are grown men, <laughs> uh, saying that they have had those very conversations uh, with their loved one, and it's a it's a really familiar military experience for for deployed soldiers to not be able to adjust going back home, and to not feel comfortable or happy unless they are uh, on tour and and mm-hmm. deployed and working, and that it causes all sorts of problems, <clears throat> and um, and some of them work it through, work it out, and some of them don't. So apparently it resonated. Yeah. It resonated with a lot of the, uh, the military crew. I think it's a sign of really good, not only just writing, but a, of a good idea of how you want to build your characters and how you want to build your environment. Whenever you can have a fictional show, especially one that is you know, sci-fi and, and not necessarily real world, when it can have an effect mm-hmm. on you know, our own lives, I think that's a sign of really smart and intelligent writing. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and we are blessed. We are blessed um, to have these writers on the show um, mm-hmm. because they they give us so much. I say this to my my writing team all the time. I say, like, you know, I, I love contributing. I love uh, bringing my personal little flavor to Alex, and uh, you know, doing my little kind of like Texas thing here and there, and um, you know, having fun. And but. I would never, ever have come up with the amazing emotional arcs that they've given us. Like, just in season two, uh, even season one, just this guy's journey from becoming the glorified bus driver to the, um, to the, uh, the fighter pilot that he got. It was such an amazing journey for him that, uh, I would never, have, I would never have dreamt of it. And then to to get him into season two, dealing with the guilt, the guilt that he suffered from um, losing all those belters on arrows, not being able to save people, uh, that again would never have crossed my mind as a as a direction to go. And I was so grateful for that when uh, when we were finally presented with it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned how you kind of have to go into the whole uh, Southern Texas thing uh, occasionally. And i and that's one thing I like about uh, Alex's accent, because that's kind of something that, that he and I share. Uh, is that oh, yeah. something that you find hard to pull off, or do accents come naturally to you? Um, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with accents in, uh, in general. Uh, that one in particular is, uh, is very, very easy for me to access. Um, and uh, I, I really enjoy it because it, it, the Southern perspective is a very unique and different perspective. Um, it's not something that everyone, um, not everybody sees things the way a Southerner does, especially a Texan. Uh, they have a very unique perspective, a very specific perspective, uh, and they always have something to say about every situation. <laughs> <laughs> and and they, they they're no bullshit. They're no nonsense people, and they 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 like 
other people who are no nonsense and no bullshit. So they have all sorts of little <clears throat> isms and sayings and things like that that they uh, that they use uh, to to kind of like how, what's that expression? Uh, separate the wheat from the chaff, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, a, no. I'm a big fan of it, and it, and it does come natural. I have uh, my best friend is from Texas, so um, I get a lot of help okay. from, from her on that. Well, it's good that you don't get like any any kind of backlash for people faking your accent because I, I'll admit it does sound like it. That's how you actually normally speak in everyday life. So it's not one of those that you can just tell that it's it's fake right from the start. Mm. That's cool. so, so. So aside from doing, uh, you know, the expanse, and you've even been in films too. You have a background in theater, which I didn't know until someone told me recently. So I'm curious if you've ever missed that, or do you think you maybe uh, might get involved in that someday? <clears throat> oh, I totally miss it, but I did a lot of it, man. I, I spent my entire youth from, like, all my 20s into, you know, it's like, I did theater, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I ran a Shakespeare company in Montreal for well over a decade, and, <clears throat> and I got my fair share, and I loved it, and I would love to do it again. Um, the only problem with the theater is that it's so challenging and difficult and you have to put so much time and energy into it and you don't make any money doing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would love, love, love to do it again. Uh, it just needs to be the right project at the right time um, because, you know, you spend all of your, your youth doing stuff like that, not making any money, and then you kind of got to catch up <laughs> afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Has has How is that... Uh like sort of in, influence you or, or prepare you for your film and TV roles? Or is it kind of like a different medium? No, no. Acting is acting, bro. And all the best actors in, in, uh, in the world are trained in theater, uh, with some exceptions. There's obviously some brilliant actors who didn't. But if you go back and look at all of your Oscar-nominated actors and all of your... Uh, incredible British actors, and I mean, even even our American actors, even you know the the Robert De Niro's and the Joe Pesci's and the um, all of the, the Harvey Keitel's, all that whole era. Um, everyone got trained in the theater. Everyone uh, took acting classes uh, from theater masters in New York or or L.A. or Chicago. Um, <clears throat> it's very rare now that you get these heavy hitting uh, performances out of an actor who has not taken any theater training. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have nothing but respect for people who uh, put themselves through the, through the, the system and, and earn their stripes. Would you say you like TV, film, uh, theater, or even voice acting more? Um, I, I cannot choose. I mean, uh, theater, there's nothing like it connecting with the audience. Um, it's a live event and the, the, the theatrical experience is not over until your audience responds to what you're doing. So mm-hmm. my performance is only 50% of the equation and, uh, voice acting is <clears throat> so much fun because I get to do whatever the hell I want to do. It doesn't matter what I look like, right? I can do a 300-pound Russian general, or I can do a red-necked Irish military sergeant, or I can do 
you know, a, a, a geeky little alien. Um, it doesn't matter what it is because it doesn't matter what I look like. All that matters is how I sound. All that matters is what, how I craft my voice. So, um, mm-hmm. that's what I love about, about voice acting is that I can be or, or do anything. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite role that you've done? Um, definitely in the voice world, Altair from Assassin's Creed is one of my, is one of my favorites. He, uh, He's an amazing character study. Uh, this legendary kind of assassin that started this whole um, trend of uh, this whole movement um, in the assassin's world and started that whole franchise off. Cool, cool. All right, well, um, I don't have any more questions for you. Uh, I do want to ask, is there anything aside from, you know, the expanse that you're working on or, or, or excited about that you want to promote? <clears throat> um, I just wrapped on a feature film, um, which I'm so excited about. It's, uh, it's directed and written by Vina Sood, who, I don't know if you've watched seven seconds on, uh, on Netflix. Um, no. she's one of the directors from the killing and she is, uh, the writer director of this this film I just did with Peter Sarsgaard, so it is uh, it is coming out probably in less than a year, and it's got an amazing it's a thriller, and it's got an amazing story to it. It's got a very uh, got a very um, crash vibe to it. It's like it's a thriller, a murder mystery with a lot of urban racial tension in it, and I get to play this amazing uh, role that. Uh, that has to deal with some really interesting dilemmas and, and, and inner, interracial things about somebody trying to investigate a, um, a murder. And so, uh, that to me is a very exciting project. I can't wait till it comes out. Cause not only is it an exciting thriller, <laughs> it's an incredibly important, um, piece that's going to have a lot to say. And if you haven't seen Seven Seconds on Netflix, it's getting huge, huge response. Uh, you need to watch it. And that's, uh, that's Zena Sood's, uh, baby. So. When does, uh, your new, new movie come out? Um, probably in less than a year. I'm hoping it's going to come out for, for festival season. But, okay. uh, just finished it like a month or so ago. So, uh, shot it in February, March. Okay. And it's yet to be titled. Uh, it's untitled right now, so uh, I can't even tell you what to look for. The working title is uh, <laughs> be- Between Earth and Sky, but I don't know what the final final title's going to be. All right. Well, we'll definitely be on the lookout for that, then. Cool. All right, Cass. Well, that's all I've got for you. Um, is there anything maybe that you want to say to the fans of, of The Expanse or even you that just might be listening to this? Um Buggle up for season three, guys, because the premiere uh, of season three was just an hors d'oeuvre. It is not going to stop. It is like a runaway locomotive. This thing is just going to build steam like a snowball running down a mountain. So, uh, you know, pack your your juice and and, and strap yourselves in because it is not going to stop. It just keeps escalating. And once we get to episodes 10, 11, 12, you're going to have to hold on to your hats. 
or as uh, <laughs> as Bobby as Bobby says in uh, in episode one. Uh, damn, it was such a good expression. Uh, hitch your tits and strap in. It's it's time to pee. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. That, that part had me cracking up. I love that expression. I wish I had said it. So, what is your uh, social media handles for people that want to follow you? Uh, anyone wants to follow me, um, um, just, it's just my name, Cass Anvar, C A S A N V A R, everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, uh, everywhere you want to go. That's, that's the ones I'm on. And I did uh, I did a nice live stream thing right before the premiere. Uh, you can see those videos on my on my social media. And I, I do live tweeting with the rest of the cast every Wednesday at 9 p.m. So you're more than welcome to join in. We have an amazing time with our with our fans. So uh, come and join. All right, sweet. Well, uh, Cass, I want to thank you again for uh, joining us today. I know that the, when the listeners hear this, they're just going to love it. I can already tell. Yeah, All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of The Crash Couch. Uh, you can follow us at Crash Couch on Twitter. And uh, just keep watching the expanse and following along with us, tweeting with us, because that's, you know, that's the best part of it. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.